0: It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome again. Matt Hausman, your host for the smart money questions podcast. Hopefully everyone is out there doing well, enjoying the summer. I know around here, the weather has really been nice. Over the weekend, uh, Maggie and our youngest got to head down. Uh, We took a little trip down to Chesapeake City Inn, which is on a little inlet off the Chesapeake in Chesapeake City, Maryland. And it was just so nice to be out there. Weather was gorgeous. You know, be able to sit out there on their deck. The marina's right there. You got boats going back and forth. Just really, really cool. So hopefully, hopefully everyone is out there enjoying the summer, doing whatever it is that you like to do, get out there in the sun and fun. But, uh, but listen, what I want to jump into today is uh, I got four questions, and many times these questions or scenarios are coming up all the time, and they've come up over the course of the last four or five weeks. And you know that I'd like to, one of the reasons i like to do the podcast is a couple times a month is to be able to share those situations and scenarios that are happening in our office, uh, or now on the phone, or, or maybe a Zoom call. And how we are interacting with them and the answers that we're giving them and the advice we're giving them. So, hopefully, if you're in a situation maybe similar, you recognize that many times, you know, it's kind of like peeling an onion. We got to pull the layers off to really get down to making the right decision. And a lot of times that takes multiple questions to get to that point. Now, I want to go over those today. I got four of them that I'm going to jump into. So, before I do that, let's make sure we deal with a disclaimer. Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss with your advisor. Now, if you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmat.com. That's www.speakwithmat.com, And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15- or 30-minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have a second conversation? So, again, very low-key. Go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So, again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com. And schedule it there. So all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. All right, so the first one comes to us from Marshall in Pennsylvania, and it is, I have a variable annuity, and I just found out that the fees are very high. Yes, Marshall, you are correct. I'd like to move the money somewhere else, but I'd have to pay a penalty to take it out. Is it worth the penalty to get away from the high fees? And one of the things that we always do when people are first coming in to look to see if it makes sense for us to work together is we're going to do a snapshot or an analysis of their exact situation right now, where all their investments are. You've heard me speak. First of all, we're going to look at it from a tax perspective. Then we're going to drill down into the actual investments themselves. In this case, with Marshall, it is a variable annuity. We're also going to look at uh, life insurance that they have. We're going to look at company benefits if they're still working, et cetera. So many times people will come in, like Marshall, he says, I just found out that the fees inside the variable annuity are very high. Many times people are not aware of what those fees look like or maybe how the variable annuity actually works. And so we're going to go through that. We're going to pull a report form and we're going to go through that. And so Marshall, one of the things that I would tell you that we look at when we're advising people that have come in and they're in that situation is, first of all, how long have you been in? the annuity. I'm going to assume it hasn't been very long if one of the things you mentioned there is there's a penalty to take it out. We want to look at how large is that penalty. You know, if you've been into it for quite a while, the penalty could be very very minimal, but if you've only been into it for 2 or 3 years, penalty could be very high. So that's one of the things we want to look at. How long is it? What is that penalty? How much is it? The other thing would be is how high are the fees and for those fees what are you paying for? Many times variable annuities can have two or three levels of fees based on maybe some additional benefits that were added to the variable annuity. One of the things we're always going to have is we're going to have a mortality and expense fee, usually a uh, an admin fee as well. Then variable annuities have underlying investment subaccounts. accounts uh, basically they're, they're clones of mutual funds. And then there's, so there's going to be in- internal expenses there. But then We can also have additional fees whether we have maybe an enhanced death benefit rider or we can have what's called an income rider on there. And so one of the things, Marshall, what we would be looking at is what are those additional fees and what are the benefits associated with them? Most importantly, I would be telling you to look at do you have an income rider benefit that's added on top of that. And that's really one of the things you want to look at, because if you've been into it for a very long time, many times that income rider, it's, you know, it's there for what it's, what it's described as. It's going to provide you with income moving forward. But, but if you haven't been into it very long, maybe the income rider hasn't ratcheted up or hasn't, doesn't have a large value there. But if you've been into it for quite a while, you really have to look now Is And I I know we don't like to pay those fees, and I've seen them as high as over 5% annually. So they can get pretty large pretty quick. But the other thing we want to look at is if you do have that income rider, is what is that income production going to look like for you when you decide to turn it on? And does it make sense just to kind of take it on the chin with the fees? We had somebody that engaged with us a couple years ago that was in this scenario. They'd been in the variable annuity for quite a while. And their income rider was pretty large. Now, to pull the money out, quite frankly, the penalty to get it out really wasn't that bad. But now we also have to look at, man, that's a huge benefit with regards to the income rider and how much income it was going to produce for them. And so what we ended up doing, we didn't touch it. Now, they had to come to grips with the idea of paying those fees ongoing. But the reality was, where were we going to move that money that could produce the income that that variable annuity was getting ready to do. Now, I will tell you this, most of the time is those situations are rare. Many times it does make sense to move out because those fees are so great and the benefit that we're paying for really hasn't gotten to the point where it is over and above the value compared to the fees that we're paying. But in this case, it was. So before you just decide to jump out, because all of a sudden now we're ticked off at how high those fees are that we're paying, let's make sure, again, that we ask a couple additional questions before we just decide to move. Like I said, it's, it's not often, but it has happened where we have recommended for clients to maintain those positions because the value was so great versus what the fees were, uh, and even the penalty to move out. So Marshall, make sure you really start asking some additional questions before because the other thing I would tell you is, where are you going to put it? Okay, we pull it out. Where are you going to go put it now? Right. And so that's something else in the event you go through those additional questions, you find out, hey, listen, this value isn't worth what I'm paying. I want to get out. Before we just do that, let's make sure we know where we're going to where we're going to put it. So Okay, so let's jump to the next one. Marshall, hopefully that helps you. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Just schedule a quick call with me at speakwithmat.com. Be more than happy to jump on the phone with you for 15 or 30 minutes. So, um, all right, listen. So let's go Tom in Virginia. This one I get all of the time. This It's almost like every person that we end up working with, this is one of the questions they have. And his question is, we have a lot of big travel plans Once we retire, including destinations on all seven continents, I wouldn't say that that's the part that we get, but we do get the travel plans, but that's, those are big, Tom destinations on all seven continents. Do we need to plan on having more income in retirement than we have right now? So very common question. You know, I always call, you know, when, when people first retire, we want to go out there and we want to be checking off the bucket list. And many times that is traveling all over the place. And so, the, Tom, what I would be asking you is, well, first of all, are, are you going to need more income? Well, you, got, you can do the math. If you're still working right now, you and your wife, or just you or just her, is, is the income that you would be having come in right now, is that enough to sustain those travel plans that you have along with all of your other expenses? The other thing I would ask you is, how long do you plan on traveling? How long are we going out? Now, most of the time, what we have found when people make that transition from working years into retirement is the bucket list years usually on the top end are done at seven years. At seven years, they've already been able to go to these different places, no pun intended with seven continents. (laughs) But the idea is usually you know, maybe multiple trips a year. And so, yeah, your spending years are going to be higher. You're going to be hitting those retirement assets harder in those years. Okay. The other thing. So how long do you want to travel? What's going to be your annual budget? This is so important. And where is the money coming from? Because there's a couple of things and I, I had somebody say this to me probably about eight years ago, and it really made a lot of sense. And, he, and we were talking exactly about this. And he looked at his wife because I was asking this question, how much, what's our annual budget that we want to set aside for travel? And he, he looked at her and he said, the reason that we're wanting to take that money off of a risk type of portfolio or investment is because do we want to be traveling when the market is down 20 or 30% like, '08, oh, or are we going to be changing our travel plans that I, I know most people had to change the travel plans because of the virus, but back in March, let's say the virus wasn't there and all of a sudden we're taking a 30% hit. In our investment money, are we still traveling? You know, and his comment was, you know, time doesn't stop on travel just because the market goes down. So that's the other thing. How much are you wanting to spend? My recommendation is you pull that off any type of risk, right? needs to be more safe money. The other thing I would tell you is, where's your money coming from from a tax perspective? Because this has also been something that clients haven't had an understanding on when they made that transition. I'll never forget this. This was about five years ago. had a client that was taking her kids over to uh, England, England, Scotland, and Ireland, and all of the money was coming out of an IRA. Now, she was in a state with with state taxes, that would be due on those IRA withdrawals. But all the, when she realized how much money she was going to have to pay in taxes, she looked at me and she's like, that is like three times how much the flights are going to cost. You know, so that's the other thing, Tom, you want to be looking at is if all the money is coming out of my traditional 401k or IRA, and now my income is ratcheting up, my taxable income is what's going to be the tax cost on that. The other thing is we want to make sure if it's going to be, if it's going to be really high, am I now stepping into where I'm, I'm paying additional expenses for Medicare Part B and Part D premium because of my taxable income? We want to remember Medicare is means tested. You know, so now, so there's a couple things. How long are we looking to travel? What's my budget? How much am I looking to do every year? What's going to be my tax cost if all the money is coming out of IRAs? And then will the market determine if I'm traveling or not? And that's really, again, where you come up with what that budget looks like, and maybe it makes sense to pull that money off, and you get it out of any of your other investments that carry on more risk. Because again, time's not going to stop. So real important, those are the different things I would tell you to be looking at, Tom, and especially look at where that money is coming from, what the tax cost is going to be, and is it going to put you in a Medicare means-tested situation? You know, I, I've had people come in here that didn't understand that. Uh, as a matter of fact, just in January, I remember speaking with someone and they had no idea that that was coming. And I had to explain to them, listen, the reality is that's going to be with you for at least the next 12 to 24 months and until those tax returns show that uh, your income has decreased. You can go and petition Medicare, but you're going to be stuck with it for probably at least 12, uh, maybe even 18 months, uh, up to 24. So just be aware of that. Really, really important. Okay, let's jump to the next one. We've got Rourke in New York. My financial advisor seems to do a good job of managing my investments, as far as I can tell. But we never talk about other things like social security, life insurance, or legacy plans, which are all things I feel that I should be getting advice on. Is this typical? Rourke, what I would tell you is many times people have come in and had this exact conversation with us. Question. And what you want to realize is when you have engaged that person, you want to have an understanding on what their role is, what they are fulfilling for you. Because just because it says financial advisor on their card, doesn't mean possibly that they're giving you financial advice on your entire plan, your entire financial plan, which would include the other things that you brought up. Social security planning. If you had a pension, pension planning, life insurance planning most importantly, legacy planning. So in this case, it sounds like that person's, what they're thinking they're doing for you is just acting as a money manager. I had someone in my office about a year and a half ago, this exact thing came out. And when we went over and looked at everything, I I said, this person is nothing more than a stockbroker for you. He doesn't feel like he should be giving you advice. And he probably doesn't even know it, to be able to give you advice on all of these other areas, but look at what he's doing for you over here. So, in his mind, he's fulfilling what he's supposed to be doing with you. But this is where it's real important to have that conversation with your advisor to make sure what you are expecting that quote financial advisor to do is actually what they're planning, those services that they are planning on giving you. I'll give you us for an example. So, we do do financial planning, we do investment management, we do insurance planning tax planning, uh, legacy planning, and we also want to make sure that the clients that are engaging with us, we want them to call us on any question that they have or anything they're looking to pursue. So for instance, many times people will come to us and they're looking to purchase another property, maybe sell their own buy another one, maybe buy a second or third home, maybe get in the rental business, what have you. No, I'm not a licensed realtor. I'm not a licensed mortgage professional, but I've got a good amount of experience there. And we want them to come to us. And if they already have professionals that are in those industries that they want to work with, we want to work with them to be an advocate for them to make sure that they understand what it is that they're getting ready to engage in. We want them to come to us with those questions. And even though we're not licensed, again, we're there to provide and be an advocate for the client. And so this is where work, what I would tell you is having a, a, a good discussion with the person that is managing your money now and let them know, hey, listen, are, this is what I'm expecting from you. Are you going to be able to provide that? It could be that that's just not what they thought they were supposed to be doing for you. So again, have a, have a good, open and clear conversation to make sure that your expectations are being fulfilled. Uh, with that person. And if not, then hopefully they have additional resources that they can bring in to help you with that. But again, it, it's so important to make sure that when you're engaging advisors that you you really have an understanding on what they're there to provide. I'll give you an example with me, for instance. And so I talk about tax planning all of the time And uh, the current CPA that we utilize is, my expectation is that they're not just doing a tax return for me. I don't want to be the one that's out there having to do all the research, let's say, with corporate tax changes, right? I want to make sure that they're looking at that and they're helping be proactive with our particular situation here, okay? And I've had that conversation with them, you know, very openly, And so I have an expectation of what they're going to do. They have an expectation of what I am expecting. So again, and it's not, so it's not just financial advisors, right? If you're dealing with a real, you hear me talk all the time, not real estate, an estate attorney, you want to have an understanding, hey, listen, after we get done with all these legal documents, are are you just out there gone and I have to be the one to reach out to you? Or or is there going to be some follow-up if there's different, laws that change, which means I'm going to have to go out there and get my documents uh, updated. Uh, This just most recently happened. We went and contacted all the clients that have shared with us that they have trust and IRA beneficiary trust. And based on the SECURE Act that happened at the end of 19, went into effect this year. We reached out to all of them. Hey, listen, you need to make sure you are touching base with your attorney to see if those trust documents need to be redrafted based on these new rules. So again, really important to have that open communication and a a clear understanding on expectations. So hopefully that helps you work. All right, listen, now we have Cheryl in Arizona. My husband wants to pay off either our house or our rental property just so that we'll have something paid off. We have enough money in our money market account to pay off one of them, but I prefer seeing a lot of money in that account just in case we need it for something. Who's right? All right. Well, Cheryl, way to to put me right in the middle of that one. And as I tell people, marriage counseling starts at $6.95 an hour. (laughs) All right. Listen, let's jump. This is a really great question. I get this one a lot. And even if you don't have a rental property, the idea is maybe I still have a mortgage and what's that look like? So here's one of the things that you want to look at. First of all, I'm going to talk about paying off the rental property or the personal property. This is where you need to be in touch with your accountant, CPA, whoever's doing your taxes to really review in the event you pay one off, am I losing write-offs? So for instance, write-offs with the rental versus the primary. If I still have a mortgage on my primary resident and I am using those interest charges on my Schedule A, is are the interest charges large enough for me to be able to, with the new tax code that went into effect in 18, is there enough there for me really to be able to take advantage of itemizing on my schedule A? Why do I say that? Because the standard deduction got, you know, went up so high and then we have the SALT, which is uh, a $10,000 maximum on state and local taxes including our real estate taxes and income taxes that we're paying in the particular state is that maybe I'm not even able to take advantage of a schedule A. Because the interest rates aren't high enough, my other things that fall into there, medical expenses, maybe I don't qualify for that. Then I'm restricted at the salt at $10,000. And then basically you just have charities after that. There's a couple other little things, but really that's it. So if you're not able to take advantage of that on your primary resident, well, maybe that's the one you look to pay off. Okay. Now, let's also look at our rental property. Now, if I have a mortgage on that, you should be able to take advantage of all of those interest charges on your Schedule E for your rental property if you are putting that on your personal return. The other place that you're going to be able to take advantage of that is all of the other expenses associated along with depreciation on your rental property. So that's where you really want to talk to them. Because again, if you're not able to really take advantage of your Schedule A personal home deduction because the interest isn't high enough or the other items on your uh, Schedule A don't take you over the standard, maybe that's the one to really look at because on the rental, I'm going to be able to still be able to do that. There's no standard deduction when it comes to a rental property. Okay, But again, you want to talk to your CPA about doing that. Now, you want to see a lot of money in your money market account and your husband wants to get something paid off. Who's right? Well, this is where you want to be looking at when you're saying a large amount that's in your money market, how much is that? You always still want to have an, an emergency fund, a slush fund, a place you can go to to grab cash in the event of exactly what it's called, an emergency. And hopefully that money is non-qualified or after tax. So when you're taking that money out for whatever reason, it's not affecting your tax return. It's not, you're not having to pay the tax man. Like if I just had an IRA savings account, And I need 50 grand, but I'm going to have a 25% hit on that. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? So we want to make sure we have after-tax money in that. You and your husband are going to have to come to an agreement on what the emergency fund amount needs to be. You know, traditional planning advice is three to six months. I've got clients. I got one client that's got 24 months in the emergency fund. That's what makes them comfortable with the other investments that we have. But again, you come up with that number, whatever it is, and then, if you can come to that agreement, and then you go and you look at, okay, now, which one of these, if there's more money left, which one of these properties doesn't make sense to pay off? And again, that's where you're going to want to sit down with your accountant, CPA, and have them, have them go over your tax return to show you, if they're recommending one or the other, why they are looking to do that. Why are they directing you in there? I'm going to aim to say that more than likely it's going to be pay the primary off and keep the rental because you're going to get more tax deductions um, or be able to use that interest on your Schedule E with your rental. Hopefully that helps. If you, Sheriff, we have any questions on that, again, reach out, schedule a call with us, uh, speakwithmatt.com. I'll be more than happy to go over that with you. But listen, everyone, again, those are questions that come up all the time in here and I just wanted to go over those. Hopefully they have been helpful. If you have a question or scenario that you want us to address, all you have to do is uh, just go to smartmoneyquestions.com, and if you go to uh, where it says listen, then it says questions. You could go in there, you can type a question, now you can record a question, comes right over to us as a voicemail. You can also email us at info at or if you would prefer not to have your question or scenario, on the podcast and but you would still like to talk to us just reach out to us speak matt.com you can schedule a 15 or a 30 minute call more than happy to jump on the call with you my online calendar is there you don't even have to pick the phone up but should you want to you can reach us directly at 610-719-3003 listen everyone i hope this has been helpful keep enjoying the summer and we'll talk to you soon everybody take care